Greetings program, hello and welcome to Tronologically Speaking, a movie by minute podcast talking about Disney's 1982 movie Tron. This is Minute 82. I'm your host Duncan Shields and joining me today is my genetically enhanced, intellectually gifted warrior of the grid guest co-host Angus Syme. Hello Angus. Hey there. Hey. hey, hey. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, let's see. I am a creative director at a computer company. Um, I am obviously not from Canada, where this is being recorded. I am from Scotland originally, which is how Duncan and I met many, many years ago. Many moons like ago. A, like a depressing now of years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 no. Um, <laughs> a number I don't tell people anymore. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was originally a computer games artist have drifted more into writing um creative development just in general over the past uh, decade so nice. yeah since it's your uh first minute with us do you i like to go over when people saw the do like do you remember the first time that you saw tron yes i do oh good okay what was that like um i saw it at the time um my parents were very very reluctant to take me to the cinema uh-huh. when i was growing up they they were very kind of old-fashioned and by old-fashioned, I mean Victorian. Oh, okay. So um, they, they didn't want to take me to anything, like except, say, Amadeus. They, they right. thought that was pretty good. Oh, um, that was, that was my, my, my sisters insisted that I, I went to see, like, Star Wars because um, I they, they felt that it was, as my... As my uh, sister, half-sister's mother said, he had a little bit too much bark in his life. Okay. Just fun stuff. Um, so, but I had an aunt who was um, very happy to take me to the cinema whenever I visited her, and uh, she would by, by take me to the cinema. This is like, you know, Stranger Things time, right? right? Sure, or, or yeah. earlier. So it actually means like, yeah, you can get on your bike, ride five miles, yeah, get some money, yeah. you know, buy a comic on the way back, and you know, hey, it's it's the day's adventure. The kid is out of my hair. Um, so I went to like a seven o'clock showing, I think of Tron. Um, and I remember being very excited about it because this was also the time when the arcades were huge, Yeah, yeah. which obviously played into the appeal of Tron and a lot of, there was like a Tron arcade game, which was gigantic afterwards, you know, you you came out of the film and you were like, oh, I want to play on the the light cycles because these are the most amazing things ever. Um, I remember it being huge. It was, there were like waves of exciting things at school, like the original Battlestar Galactica was obviously um, uh, Tron. um, You remember the greatest American hero? Oh yeah. Stuff like that. So that, there'd be like, uh, you know, a really, season of Knight Rider, yeah. like that A team. And, and you look back on most of them and you're like, Ugh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, wow. yeah you, you sit down for a nostalgia rewatch and you're like, oh boy. Oh man. This like, is a awful. good example. And I, and I apologize for diverging, but I remember having this argument with a bunch of people at work about the original Dark Crystal. Okay. It's, it's not actually as good as you remember. Yeah. And all these people had seen it as a kid were like, shut your mouth. It's yeah. amazing. And so they went away and watched it and people came back were like, wow, that, wow, that, that is not as good as I remember. You could still appreciate the effort that went into the production. I, I, I can, right? but it's, it's interesting. We'll talk but about the, this. Yeah. One. The pacing is like a little glacial and 
it's yeah. it, and it's a weird story. It's a weird it's like story. Weird yeah. protagonists, weird side characters. Yeah, a, a lot of things like nowadays TV, especially, but also films, have everything down to like a millisecond beat. Yeah, like they know exactly when to introduce a thing, you know, when to get away with a romantic interest. Yeah, how to have action. But back then, it's still the wild west. Yeah. And you kind of see that in Tron. A lot of, yeah, a lot of productions back in the day still had a fingers crossed kind of thing where they would make it and then put it into the market and be like, but let's hope that people like it. Whereas like now it's like everything's been completely like scienced, like you said, down to the se- down to the second. So, and I, and I think that's why like this is a, again a, a, a tangent, for which I apologize, but no when you look at Star Wars, like, I, I'm not a huge Star Wars fanatic. Yeah. Like a lot of people in our generation, a lot of people just like worship the films. Yeah. And I, I tend to like downplay them because I'm like, yeah, they're yeah, they're pretty solid. You know, they're good. But then you see what was around at the time. Yeah. Sure. You, you're like, oh my god, these things. Will, <laughs> how did they not win every like every bam, cons- bam bam? Conceivable. Also, yeah. Like, I'm. I've got a still of Tron up. <laughs> like two stills up on my screen at the moment and i remember liking things like flash gordon and blah 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 but when you watch them now you're like you look awful yeah so bad but you look at star wars and it looks really good still yeah it still holds up it's like watching a western or something and that's incredible yeah so anyway that but we're not here to talk about star wars no but you're right you're right there is uh, there's a lot of those kind of aspects to Tron. The cool thing about Tron, I think, is that nothing, nothing happened like it before, and nothing's happened like it since, except for maybe uh, Legacy and that uh, Auto Man television show or whatever. But that, well, like the con- con- the high concept work that went into it, still makes it stand out as really good. But the actual effects themselves. You're like, yeah, okay. These are these are 1982 effects, even though they're cutting edge 1982 effects. I I maintain that it's the design work and the concept, the concepts that uh, sure. keep it fresh, rather than the actual effects themselves, because we've come a long way since then. Yeah, I remember. I, I have a feeling it was you who told me this like years ago, but it could be someone else. Could have been one of the people who was like our old art director. Yeah. said that it was a like when no one had ever done anything in 3d before yeah like at all and you know everything else was done with like normal models yeah um even star wars didn't have any 3d really Mm -hmm. they just like you know shot stuff and you know did some composition so because tron was trying to do this there wasn't a thing like maya or 3ds max or any of the packages you used to make these things so all they could do was plot stuff out on graph paper yeah and they plotted off like point by point and to make like one polygon you need three points in space yeah. to make like a triangle so they had to do these really simple devices you know even things like the light cycles and kind of go okay at like x point you will be at you know 0 2106 yeah and that's like one point on the thing and they'd like essentially trace in some graph paper yeah. and then move it along and you're like that's incredible no, so the, i think this yeah. was the, this was the start of computer graphics. Mm-hmm. If, if nothing else, it is incredible for that. But I agree that they also, because they kind of attached um, an aesthetic to it, it's held up for far longer than it than other things like it would have. 
Yeah, for sure. And a lot of the style calls they made, like, I think it would have been really tempting to have all of the backgrounds and artwork and design work to be at right angles. Yes. Because it's inside a computer, and it would have been really tempting to have everybody talk like a robot. Or, like, there's a bunch of different things that they could have done that were 80s cliches about computers that they didn't do. I, I see that, uh, that helps. There's a lot of stuff they did do too. Don't get me wrong, but can, can, can are we gonna like? Okay, uh, yeah. Are we gonna are we gonna go through this, or, or are we gonna like generally talk about Tron first and then analyze? The... Well, let's go. Well, let's get into the minute. We'll try to we'll we'll try to rate it into the minute. I'll I'll start with that. Okay. So what happens in this minute? Sark's shuttle lands on the plateau in front of the MCP. We get a clear shot of the MCP. Sark's ship begins to derez, and Flynn saves Yori from being derezzed along with the ship. Uh, we get this dizzying shot of the camera tracking Sark's shuttle as it whips over the cracked volcanic looking surface of the plateau surrounding the Mesa, uh, surrounding the MCP's main housing. There's like different simple geometric shapes are whipping around the air in a frenzy. I don't know how the shuttle is avoiding them, but I guess it's on some sort of pre-approved uh, trajectory or flight path. In, in, the, in the novelization, these little shapes are referred to as free bits. Yeah, which is a bit of a fascinating term because I'm not, I'm not sure what they mean by free bits. I'm like, well, yeah. so there's there's bits with agency, like just roaming packs of wild dogs out there or something like that. I thought it was kind of cool. And this is uh, this is one of the totally CG shots that you were talking about. Just is why the camera can move around. Like all the static shots have live action elements or paint, or they've painted backgrounds that can't be animated without looking really ropey. So with uh, there's that one crane shot during the ring game in the very beginning when the, the guys walk out and the camera pans up and it's on the set. So that was really cool. Uh, but for the most part, if there's a CG environment with live action elements, it's locked off. But once we go full CG, you can move the camera wherever you like, which is something that they really went overboard with in later CG productions there. It's just like, hey, look, it's a camera going down a hallway. It's a camera going down a tube. The camera can yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, go anywhere you want it to. And I'm like, yeah, but should it though? Like we're trying to hit a dramatic beat here, not take us on a roller coaster ride. But Well, I'm, I'm hoping we're, we're like slowly beginning to like return to decent, you know, like just just because you can doesn't mean yeah. you should yeah i think we're getting the, the words of sure. jurassic park have yeah begun to <laughs> yeah exactly yeah uh so the shuttle touches down with wendy carlos music blasting and there's a bunch of green lines pulsing now and again up to the mcp's main housing now we get a shot from inside and we see all of the older programs like Dumont uh, jostle, jostle as the ship lands and i think it's it's great that none of these programs are panicky really well except for the one directly the one directly in front of dumont seems pretty scared but uh that's more from like the impact of the touchdown i think than the situation like he's more thinking like oh this is horrible for my hips you know rather than uh than actual fear but they're old and they're angry and they're resolute don't make them like they used to yeah (laughs) (laughs) they make them far better yeah (laughs) i like i like to imagine that down to a one that they're all like dumont that they're all grumpy, despondent old programs uh, wrapped around a core of hope and strength. Like, because uh, one thing I've noticed that like no one doesn't care, like no one doesn't give an f like an older person. You yeah. know, like they're they're resolute in their beliefs, and it's also kind of easier to give your life to a cause at that point. You know, like 
I think uh, it reminds me of the uh, older seniors who went in to help during the Fukushima disaster. Sure. Right? Like a, uh, they volunteered to go into high radiation zones to help clean up because most of them were like, heck, I've only got a few years left anyway. At least this way my death can mean something. They called themselves the, the skilled pensioners, the skilled pensioners group. There's over 200 of them. So I don't know. Really, really cool. Right? Yeah. So I like to, I sort of see this group of 12 uh, programs as uh, those like those types of people. Like they're facing certain death, uh, but they're like, ah, so what? What are you going to do, MCP? Like you see it in the uh, in the earlier torture scene when, <laughs> you know, he comes to he comes to gloat. David Warner comes to gloat and he's like, are you enjoying yourself? And he's like, go away. I'm busy <laughs> as he's being tortured on the wall. Mind so, side, is, he still, is he still alive? David Warner, I think he is. Isn't David Warner is still alive. Yeah, he still goes to uh, Tron conventions to do Q and A's and stuff like that. Yeah, awesome. Because, uh, like, you, you know, you always like there's something he dies a bit when someone's like, and years later they go on live and like, I hated it. I hated yeah. everything about it. I was yeah. a Shakespearean actor, and they forced me into this garbage. Yeah, like, <laughs> like uh... God bless you, David Warner, for going <laughs> up to Tron conventions. Yeah, and I think like he recognizes the love that people have for his character. Like he has gone on record saying he doesn't want to ever play another villain because he he feels like he's a he's a he's a good person, and he doesn't he just doesn't like being stereotyped as this Didn't horrible do, person. Um, Time Bandits as well. Oh yeah, he was he, he was, was evil. Like yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, actually, like, like quite literally, you were the worst villain of all time. Yeah, he was the persona, the personification of evil, right? Incarnate. I, I don't want to play evil people. We'd like you to be evil. Okay. Well, you've uh, you kind of you kind of played evil more than anybody else could ever possibly play of you. You know, so that's uh, that's pretty cool. Like the MCP knows at this point that all the old programs they can't be broken; they can only be absorbed. So because the, they'll all be giving the finger to the MCT to the MCP to their dying day. So that's. Uh, that's pretty cool. I like the costumes of the older programs here. Wasn't like I'm pulling this out of my ass, but wasn't this stuff originally designed by Mobius? Yes, definitely was. All of it. Yeah, I thought so. It it, it smells like him. And it sure does. I, yeah. Like I I know he didn't design the sets. No. Um, but yeah, he designed all of the, the look and feel of the characters. Yeah, he designed the look and the feel of the characters. He designed a couple of the vehicles. Uh, the other person that was heavily involved was Sid Mead. Nice. So the two of them tag-teaming one project resulted in some pretty stellar results. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the older guys, and, and like Mobius, for anyone who doesn't know, is a French artist who was obsessed by certain... He, I mean, he's very, very influential. I, I cannot overstate how influential he was in yeah. the kind of seventies and eighties stuff like Blade Runner. Yeah. Is, is a lot of his June comes from a lot of his ideas, but he has certain like uh, visual ticks, things like caps, like the way he drew, you know, a lot of people will wear slightly odd hats. Yeah. 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 Hats, and I'm looking at the programmers and like, yep, <laughs> that's Mobius. Yeah. 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 They got this uh, sort of uh monkish look of like robes but like they've got the swim cap with a chin strap that also kind of looks like a russian cosmonaut yeah you know so, like... so how do you make how, as you say like if you get interesting people in they will make slightly unusual choices that you wouldn't normally associate with computer design but yeah anyway i'm sorry i interrupted you again oh no that's okay that fits right in like because the, the robes are thick and they've got panels and pockets on them sort of making them look a bit more like journeyman craftsman aprons exactly like, in a, like a metalwork or a leather workshop or like a lead-lined protective lab coat in a facility or something like that. 
there's definitely like, there's definitely like a like an elderly scientist, but also a Russian cosmonaut. Yeah, yeah, and 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 also like an Olympic swimmer. <laughs> you know, like having all those like there's a circuitry pattern work coming out of their hip pockets that looks like a drawing of a laptop or something like that, or a or a complicated calculator. I'm surprised they don't have chest pocket circuitry with pens sticking out of them or something. And they've got uh, thick gloves, right? Yep. Like if they, not as thick as the gods, but no, not as thick as the gloves, but as the guards. But they're they're the brains of the grid. I feel, you know. Actually, looking at the gods and and the gods look like, which I also know is influenced by Mobius, a direct line to the fifth element. Oh, okay. In what way? Did um, could when you look at the gods, because I'm sure you've obviously studied these two. They've got yeah. these like huge shoulder pads, but yeah. also like, you know, there is a lot of like almost that padding. Yeah. Which you see a lot. Oh, they look like the yeah oh okay sure yeah yeah like the oh, what were they called the original builders or whatever the ones that created lilu yeah but, but just, just kind of like the heavy thickness and you know there's a slight absurdity to them yeah as well oh yeah <laughs> like 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 the like do you remember the in the fifth element who you know have all of that padding but yeah. they're also just having a McDonald's. So. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The police looking kind of Judge Dreddish, but they've just, uh, yeah. But also slightly crap. Yeah, yeah, because they got the like the big giant light right on their chest, right over their heart. You know what I'm like? <laughs> There's like ten things wrong with that. <laughs> That's, you know, yeah, yeah, for sure. But and also the thing with these guards is they don't have anything protecting their legs, so they've just got. They've just got leotards, little skinny, little skinny legs, but they've got these giant top heavy, like the entire body up from the belt up is like super armored. And then their legs are just built for speed, I guess. I don't know. Like dolls never shoot me in the leg. <laughs> Why? Yeah. Oh no. I've taken a, di- I've taken a disc to my ass. I've taken a, I'm in real I've, trouble now. I've taken a disc to the knee. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> anyway, carry uh, on. The tall guy to the right of the screen kind of reminds me of uh, Hector Salamanca in uh, Bre- Breaking Bad. Remember that guy? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's got that tall, straight-backed, unafraid, and it's like it's like the guy on screen left. He also has this. I also like him because he's got this Buster Keaton look of like, oh how boring this again. You know, like he's above it all. Like I really I want to see like a like a an in an intron universe production of 12 angry men starring all these guys, you know, cause they all see these characters, all these characters, all these codes. Yeah. It's kind of like in, uh, like in full metal jacket, there's a scene at a grave where the, the guys, the, the bad guys invited all the teachers to a meeting in the woods and then they killed them all. Sure. And I picture these programs like those teachers, like this is the MCP finally absorbing, and dealing with the heart and soul of the grid. Like this is his big, his, his big, big moment, his big moment to like, okay, once I've got these guys, that's it. He's also voiced by Warner, isn't he? Yeah. 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 He plays Sark Dillinger and the MCP. So he's, he's doing triple duty in this movie. Yeah. Cool. Which is, which is weird. Like we were talking earlier about the oddities of, you know, uh, putting together plots at the time. Yeah. And like, you know, Star Wars stands out because it's so coherent. And I think I mentioned to you before while we were organizing this, I still find it very weird that Tron exists as like, like it isn't like the plot feels very John Carter to me. And I mean, like, you know, like the original core, like someone from earth 
travels to a fantastical world, there's perhaps some sort of princess. Um, there is an evil thing. Do you know what I mean? There, there is yeah. a lot of beats. He discovers he can jump far or learn, learn to use some device. Or sure. blah, blah. In this case, he has special powers, blah, blah, blah. But he's not the name on the, you know, on the marquee. His, yeah. his code is, you know, it's, 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 it's odd. It's, it's a very odd stylistic choice. Yeah. 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 There's not too many, there's not too many films that are, that are like that. Cause the, 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 the film's called Tron, but Tron is almost a secondary character. Well, I, I, I assumed that like either they didn't know what they were doing which is entirely plausible because mm. this is really an effects thing or they were trying to go here. It's like two parts of one person. Um, yeah. You know, like, like Tron is his interior dream self or the hero he would like to be or, oh, or yeah. blah, 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 you know, his natural optimism. And at the end, you know, when push comes to serve, that's when he really develops his, you know, his ability to defeat the MCU. Yeah, I can see that. The MCU, I like that. <laughs> the well, then he d- defeats, yeah. defeats the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> just like, no! <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I love the idea of Tron taking down Thanos with a with a well-placed disc or something like yes. that. Yes, yeah. So the, uh, the ship rests in front of the MCP, and the orbiting bits all tighten their orbits until they're touching the MCP, and they rest inside their housings. The green pulses stop, and I didn't notice this until now, but that's when the little ramp comes up to the MCP's housing. There's oh, a little yeah. ramp. Yeah, it does. It's great design work from Sid Mead here on the MCP and the, and the housing here, I thought. You can really see the sort of function. Except for that stretched face. Except for the stretched face. I, I, I don't know what they were thinking. It's just well, the, it's, like it's, with, not, it's not going to fit an irritating thing. It's just like, just stretch it. You It'll go be fine. into the... <laughs> even, fine. And, even, and I say this, even as an 11-year-old watching this, it was not fine. No. <laughs> it's like, what no. on earth is wrong with that God. face? <laughs> even, as a, even, a, yeah. even as a child, you're like, huh, well, that's, that's a bit... Yeah, that's, that's quite working, does it? No, that's that's terrible. Well, it keep the when you talk about the the novelization in the screenplay, they talk a lot about the the design work that was like the goal of it was he was supposed to be this giant like Jabba the Hutt. Like Amber is looking at this now and giggling and like, oh, wow, <laughs> this is a stretch face. The like the giant. He was supposed to have a face that was sort of like the face of an idiot, but also like a really fat face and like a fa- like a Jabba the Hutt kind of thing, but like. Like a big, simple, like the face in uh, like Master Blaster, like the face of uh, Blaster, yeah. Like and so he's he's supposed to have this giant face that like looks like a big, uh, like looks like it has no intelligence, but also looks like it's massive. And like the thing to remember is that this is the face that the MCP chooses. Yep. This is supposed to be a face designed to scare the heck out of people because it doesn't look shrewd and cunning and evil. It just looks malevolent and monolithic like a like a wall and so like that's 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 one that's that's a generous way of describing it as, as malevolent because i look at it and just go yeah. it just looks like it was stretched around a cylinder it's one of those things where it's and it's also there's a it's supposed to be like yeah like what it's supposed to be uh that this is one of those things where the execution is still really really high concept like there's no other villain that ever looked like this you know, but uh, but it didn't quite work in terms of the brief. 
you know. Yeah, so, it, uh, it, it, the closest I can think of something like that is do you remember Sky Captain? And the World of Tomorrow, Sky Cap, yeah. Yeah, that 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 thing that burnt so bright briefly for one for like one month before it came yeah. out, and then no no one ever remembers it. No. Um, but but the but at the end where they uh, use essentially the large floating head of um, John Gil was it John Gilgood or one of the British actors I can't remember. No, it was um, Lawrence Olivier I think who was long dead, but they kind of resurrected him for this performance. Okay. And he's got this large black and white floating head and it's kind of slightly oddly lit yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, it it's kind of i think what they were going for here but it's yeah. just they were stuck they, they, they were well, putting something a, on a cylinder in a later minute in a in a later minute when tron uh jumps in the to the mcp the 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 well, with, I'll, I'll talk about that when 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 we get to it at that minute. But there was there's a there's a beat where the where the MCP's face is supposed to turn into Flynn's face. Okay. Right, but of course the technology at that point was just non-existent. Right, so for for that kind of thing, they, they, you could only like you could just the only thing you could do is actually superimpose a face onto it, like one of those talking oranges or something, and it would have looked absolutely horrible. But uh, we get we get a, a hero shot at the music swells to a crescendo and they zoom in between the cracks of the MCP structure. The music stops and all we get is the spinning hum of the MCP itself. Giant red column of light with the MCP's face on it spinning at a high speed around and around the pole. And do you remember uh, them when they 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 uh, what do you call it? Uh, they lampoon the MCP in South Park. I, I'm going to be honest here. I've watched like two South Park episodes in my entire life. Hey, no worries. No worries. Like, like I, I watched the one with the film with the invaded Canada. Oh, that was a good one. That, that was about, um, yeah, it's just, it's one of the, you know how there are things which just like pass you by and then yeah. they're on like episode 8 million. Yeah. And, yeah. and you will never catch up. No, I, I just tried. Really, I've never watched The Simpsons. Well, fair enough. Like I watched, uh, I think I watched the first three seasons of South Park when they were coming out because a girl I was going out with was really into it. Oh. And then, uh, and then later on I was like, oh, I should catch up on this. So I watched like season four and season five and it's all, it's all like OJ jokes and stuff. And I'm like, oh boy, this is going to be tough because they're really topical. So not, o- not only are that, not only is there like 900 to catch up on, it's stuff from 20 years ago. So I'm like, oh, okay. But in this in this South Park episode, uh, all the kids go off to like a, a, a Boy Scouts camp, but it's just for Jewish kids. And then they go into the woods to summon Moses. And they're like, we want, we want Moses to appear to us. And so they... They, they, they put a bunch of like arts and crafts, like popcorn necklaces and macaroni pictures and stuff to summon him. And then they summon him and Moses, when he appears, is the MCP. Nice. So this, <laughs> this big MCP comes up in the middle of the woods and it's like, why have you summoned me? And they're like, look, it's Moses. And it's really strange. But I, uh, but it was, that was one of the callbacks that you're like, oh my gosh, somebody remembers the MCP. Right. So. Anyway, the old programs are marched out of the cockpit of the shuttle and up the ramp leading to the MCP, six on each side of Sark and the lieutenant, followed by a heavy guard. This bursts of red light zipping along the cracks in the ground with great little Doppler sound effects, big zero, zero, it's really cool. Sark's ship is cruising along when the, uh, you see this like small gray window looking a little like that translucent aerogel stuff. 
Uh, it comes flying at a very high speed from a halo orbit above the MCP up to the front of Sark's ship, growing to form like a rectangular portal window right in front of it. And then as the ship passes through the window, it's completely stripped down to a plain red wireframe. This is like the, the de-resing the, process the de-resing. that they were talking about. It looks really cool. And it was also really hard for the company Triple I to, uh, to do. They had to create like a whole new wireframe version of the ship for this scene. Like they could produce renderable vector lines, but it's a, it's a whole new wireframe of the ship because they couldn't just like turn turn off the polys or whatever like that's not something that was possible so the the thing the, the this is uh, an aside I, I think the de-rising scene was very cool though it is weird yeah. how the the square just doesn't appear it like yeah. uh, like shoots around from the back and is like oh yeah you know, i just here's one i had earlier like a playing card there you go it's in front of you now yeah, uh, yeah. it's just like a gateway opening up which destroys your thing yeah it could have just opened uh, it's kind of weird that it comes from somewhere do you remember, like, you will know this story, but I don't know if anyone listening will. Uh, one of the, the best wireframe stories of that era, which I've always remembered, was uh, John Carpenter's Escape from New York. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great one, yeah. Where, where there's this really famous shot where they kind of go, you know, New York, it is a, you know, a den of, you know, scum and villainy. And then they have this, like, you know, essentially what looks like a 3D version of New York, them tracking you know, you're going to have to go in and land. It's very, it's done like a, like a standard wireframe projection. But like, but like the, a three, like it's in the, it's in the room with them, like a 3D hologram. Yeah, like, like, like Star a, Wars, like a hologram comes yeah. up and goes, yes, you know. But it was just, um, they didn't have the budget to do that. They couldn't attempt something like that. So uh, he turned to his special effects guy, who uh, went on to have a very successful yeah. uh, career. <laughs> uh, this is James Cameron. It was one of the first things he ever worked on. Uh, James Cameron was like, you don't need computers. What we'll do is we'll just make boxes and we'll tape glow-in-the-dark strip stuff in a grid pattern across all of these and we'll just push them upwards and then we'll just film it with light so it's all reflected. Yeah. I was always like, oh, that was genius. Yeah. You, you madman. You're so <laughs> like, and that's why you're a billionaire. Yeah. 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 He did <laughs> that outside the box or with boxes quite literally. And it's so effective, right? It's like, when you see that scene now, you're like, wow, that's a really sweet effect. That's seamless. That doesn't look jittery at all. That's fantastic. Oh, it's tape and boxes. Oh, well, okay. Now, I think sense. it's one of the things which you see with this is, because like when you showed me, uh, then I'll let you carry on. But when you sent me um, these two, uh, these two minutes, yeah, I thought you'd sent me the wrong one. I honest to God, uh, I, I I turned it on and I looked at the beginning of, of minute eighty two and I was like, like, oh my God, this is previs, which which to anyone listening, it's pre visualization, which is when animation does kind of blocks in what they're going to do doesn't light it doesn't do anything and i'm like oh my god this is really bad <laughs> i was nearly about to type to you surely you oh oh my god this is the film yeah is, yeah and so it's it's interesting how like sometimes cheating on special effects can hold up really well oh yeah but at the same time doesn't like what tron did was it pushed the boundaries of cinema forwards yeah in a way no one has ever done before yeah you know so anyway no, I concur. That's the same. They did that same special effect with the Dillinger's helicopter in the beginning. Yeah, works fantastically. Everybody thinks it's neon or something, and it's like, no, it's just a uh, 3M reflective tape. I, I want to see that um, 
Escape from New York scene now again. I want to call that up. Yeah. <laughs> so we cut uh, we cut to Flynn and Yori inside the cell. Flynn is still trying to figure out how to open the door. Yori is still utterly despondent in the middle of the cell, awaiting death. Flynn says, hey, Yori, I still have power. Sark doesn't know that. He goes over to her and pulls her up to her feet, and she says, leave me alone. We failed. Which is one of the reasons why I continue to think they did the in-grid version of Dr. Laura Baines a bit of a disservice. Uh, I think her real-world counterpart would never have given up like this, but she's uh, completely folded. And then Flynn says, we only fail if we give up now. Come on, look, the wall, and goes over to the wall. There's an echoey sound in the background as the entire cell turns to just neon lines. Yori loses her blue power and faints. And then Lori, I mean, Flynn goes over to grab her. And as he does, the cell lines disappear to black entirely. And we get a scene of Flynn holding Yori as his power flows into her, restoring her blueness, which is then that brings us up to the end of the, uh, the end of the minute. But I like to go over a little bit about the differences between the movie and the screenplay and the novel. The novel's pretty much the same, but in the screenplay, it's just a little different. Um, Yori and Flynn are in their cell, and then Flynn finds that his hand can actually pass through the door, just as the cell derezzes. And then he, uh, he looks back to see Yori, lethargic as the energy is drained from her, and then she starts to fade like Michael J. Fox in Back to the Future. And then he rushes to her and holds her, saving her, which is a little bit better than her being like, leave me alone. Like he just sees her fading and jumps in to rescue her rather than having a, a moment of her being despondent. But well, what can you do? It's a small detail. But that's uh, that's minute 82 in a nutshell for you. Yep. Uh, do you, um, that takes us to the end of the minute. I usually ask people if they have any place online where people can check you out but i guess do you really have anything like that anything not not really um a, a lot of people like it, it's not really my thing i enjoy browsing rather than you know doing stuff so yeah. um but uh yeah as i say it's, it's interesting seeing um all of the stuff with with drama it's interesting seeing how it's like held up mm -hmm. it's interesting seeing how in some ways it hasn't mm -hmm. held up yeah. I, I see it as a very inspirational thing I, I remember it having a huge impact on a lot of kids. Yeah, when I was tremendous. At the time. Yeah. Like, like, I cannot overstate how much of an impact it had because I think it tapped into, like, that this was an era before Nintendo, before Xbox, before PlayStation. Like, just, like just before it, yeah. Yeah, j just before it. And arcades were God. Yeah. And the aesthetic of arcades, um, I mean, they don't really exist anymore, but at the no. time you could find them everywhere and they all felt like discos for kids. Yeah. You know, you'd go in and they were pitch black and there was neon everywhere and a lot of them had like strip lighting on the floors. Yeah. And it, it, they felt like weirdly adult. Yeah, because they were, and they were loud. They right? were very loud and it, it was, it, you know, it was you know there was something you know your parents wouldn't really approve of you being there yeah so this was one of the first attempts it wasn't trying to make a video game but you know the film starts in an arcade a lot of the neon reminded me of stuff i saw in arcade and yeah. i and i and i watched it and then went to an arcade which was yeah. in the cinema yeah oh and, cool and it, 
you know, and it felt like stepping from one thing to the other. Yeah. Um, in a way that no one had ever really kind of, you know, gotten that zeitgeist. That's true. Zeitgeist at the time. So, yeah. you know, it's a very interesting film. It's interesting what they tried to do with it later. Yeah. And they tried to make a sequel. Yeah. Uh, which is beautiful. Yeah. It looks really, really oh, beautiful. Oh, it looks great. It looks great. Um, but also has its own flaws. It has its own flaws for sure. Do you want to, uh, do you want to come back and talk about minute 83? Sure. Okay, cool. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, check out more at tronologicallyspeaking.com. Drop us a line on Twitter at tronologicallyspeaking or send us an email at tronologicallyspeaking at gmail.com or join us on Facebook at the Tronologically Speaking Minute by Minute listeners page. Uh, if you have any music needs, then go on over to pond5.com. There's a lot of music for there for, to there for, for you to choose from for your short film or for your uh, website or for your podcast. And special thanks to the Star Wars Minute that started it all. Go on over to moviesbyminutes.com and see if your favorite movie is there. There's like 140 of them now at the time. So if it isn't, consider doing one yourself. They're a very nice community, I find. Do you want to try a little uh, end of line in unison on three? Okay. Yeah, okay. One, two, three. End of line. Beautiful. You, you did it far better than me. Oh, I don't know. You, you did it with the voice. Yeah.